Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're glad that you're here. I would like to offer a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us. We're very glad that you are here, and if you have questions or comments about this faith or this congregation, please do see the knowledgeable and friendly people at the membership table and visitor table out there in the foyer, and they'll be happy to help you. We come from a long heritage of faith communities that teach that there is a spark of the divine in every human being. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Say with me the words by which we light our chalice. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Spiritual growth isn't about a vertical ascent in heaven, but about growth in every dimension at once. It's spirituality in 3D. Growth in spirit doesn't measure one's own proximity to a God above, but rather the spaciousness of one's own soul, its volume, its capacity, and its size. We need souls that can take in the world and all of its complexity and diversity, yet still maintain our integrity. And we need souls that can love and be in relationship with with all of this complexity. Instead of flight or fight, we need a spiritual posture of embrace. The words of Reverend Bob Hardy's All Souls Christian Church. People ask, what holds your church together? Your Unitarian Universalists, which kind of means one God, no hell, you say. But you have people who have their practices and their roots in Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Mormonism, paganism, humanism. How in the world do you all sit in the same room every Sunday together? And usually I say, well, come see. But one of the things that holds this congregation together is the mission that you all wrote. And we say it every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Many of you know that this year, 2014, is the 60th anniversary of First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin being granted church status by the Unitarian Universalist Association. So we became an official church that year, and this is our 60th anniversary. I thought it would be fun if we asked, uh, by we I mean me, asked um, six people to present a decade each. Now, we have a ringer in the group, And that is Luther Elmore. He's been doing lots of research that people can draw on. And I've asked him to present the 50s and before. I think Meg asked me to uh, do the 50s because she knew that I remembered part of them. 
So, nevertheless, the beginnings of this church stretch back to the late 19th century. Reverend Edwin Wheelock, a Harvard-educated Unitarian minister and social reformer, came to Austin and post-Civil War Texas to help rebuild the state. After living in the Pacific Northwest for a time, he returned to Austin and in 1892 helped establish the Unitarian Society of Austin. After his death in 1901, however, the society ceased to exist. In April of 1951, 11 individuals met in the home of Mr. and Mrs. William Kuhatschek and organized the Unitarian Fellowship of Austin. Originally, they met in individuals' homes, but as they grew, they rented space at the YMCA, Texas Federation of Women's Clubs, and the Rosedale Elementary School. In 1953, they started a Sunday school for the children. 1953, they also helped organize and financially supported the integrated All-Austin Nursery School. In May of 1954, they had grown to 81 members, and they reorganized as a Unitarian Church of Austin. Reverend George Marshfield of Ottawa, Canada, was called as their first minister. He arrived in mid-December. Reverend Marshfield initiated the Public Affairs Forum, with its first gathering on January the 30th, 1955. Its first speaker was Ronnie Duggar, editor of the Texas Observer. The church also started a lending library and charged 10 cents per week per book rental fee. In August of 1957, Mrs. Emily Wheelock-Halson, the daughter of Reverend Edwin Wheelock, passed away at the age of 96. She left a bequest to the church, which ultimately would total $110,579. After Reverend Marshfield resigned in late 1957, the church called Reverend Brandy Lovely of Reading, Massachusetts, as its new minister. With a house and bequest, the church began to look for a site on which to build. Ultimately, on October 13, 1958, the church voted 33 to 4, always some dissent, to purchase the three and a half acres at 4,700 Grover for $20,000. They also bought a parsonage at on Park Crest Avenue. 1958, membership stood at 113. UT architect Martin Gramacy was hired to draw plans for a new church building. But due to the excessive cost of over $100,000, the weak financial situation of the church, and the anticipation that the church would have to borrow $18,000, his plans were rejected in a congregational meeting by a vote of 15 to 41, and he was dismissed. 1959 also saw the Unitarian Association poll congregations concerning their support for a possible merger with the Universalists. In March of 1959, the church voted against such a merger. That summer of 1959 also saw Reverend Lovely, along with three other Anglos and two African Americans, five adults and one child, swim together in Barton Springs Pool, much to the dismay and protest of the pool attendant. With UT Architect having been dismissed, paid in construction of Cleveland, Texas, a company specializing in the construction of churches, gave a presentation in December 1959 at a congregational meeting. That same day, the church, church voted unanimously to authorize a contract with Payton for them to build a church with the stipulation that the cost was not to exceed $60,000. In 
December 20th, 1959, as the decade drew to a close, 112 people attended Sunday services. In addition, 44 children attended RE and 43 attended the forum. As the decade closed, membership stood at 141. The 1950s had seen a Unitarian fellowship established, it growing to a church, calling a minister, buying the lot at 4700 Grover, and voting to build a new sanctuary in RE rooms. Today we look back and judge the actions of the church and its leaders in the 1950s. In the future, others will do the same to us. May we remain faithful to the hopes and dreams of those 11 individuals who met over 60 years ago and started us on the path to the first Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, Texas. From the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Now is the time in our service where we breathe together into our hearts, into the place where we are who we are. It is in this place that we can find stillness. It is in the stillness that we find clarity. It is in the clarity that we find wisdom. And it is in wisdom that we find peace. Let us enter into the silence together, remembering that tiny child noises count as silence. You are now invited to light candles of joy and sorrow, hope and remembrance. Are there ways to be filled with love and light in all your days? Are there ways to be lucky and kind, good-humored, of service to the planet, a friend to God and every human being? Some people say that there are spiritual laws at work in the universe and that they govern these things and that the more you can be familiar with the way things work, the more you can have the kind of spiritual core that keeps you strong to um, have some sturdiness during the kinds of things that happen to a person in life. None of the spiritual laws guarantees that bad things won't happen, or that you'll be happy all the time, or that you'll be rich, or whatever. But they, what the religions say when they talk about the way things work is that if you can understand the way things work and, uh, and operate the spirit the way it's supposed to be operated, then you have that inherent sturdiness that will help you be kind even when you're cars out of gas and you're hysterical about your bank account and your toe hurts. <laughs> and one of the reasons that we're in a spiritual community together is so that we can talk about these things and we can address these things. And sometimes um, if you try to talk about them in other places, people look at you like there's something off about you. Uh, or that you're getting too deep, or um, 
nobody will engage with you about it. And I think it's uh, so refreshing and so comforting to have a whole group of people. You could probably pick out a person at random in, in this room and say, I would, I'd like to have a conversation with you about uh, how things work in the universe. And they'd at least have something to say to you about it. <laughs> and part of why we're here is that we are trying to teach our children how things work, too, so that they have a chance of being sturdier, more compassionate, more open, more grounded, having a strong core, um, so that they're not buffeted about by every child in their school who tells them they're going to hell or um, tells them, you know, that, that they don't know anything or that they're ugly or, you know, kids do those things, and we need to protect our children so that they are sturdy enough to endure. And I think that the spiritual laws are really hard to understand. Um, to me, uh, the physical laws are really hard to understand, too. And I have um, just been reading a book that is for science literacy. And so I've been reading about um, gravity and electromagnetism and um, the speed of light and sound and the laws of thermodynamics. And I really had thought, because my dad was a physicist, I really thought um, that I had been taught about the laws of thermodynamics. And, um, and yet, I couldn't understand what these articles were talking about enough to know whether what I had learned was correct or not. So here's just one sentence, okay? And I'm sure it'll be clear as crystal to some of y'all. The inverse square law of interactions mediated by massless bosons is the mathematical consequence of the three-dimensionality of space. I read on. I'm not easily discouraged. <laughs> and then I found out that it's not completely accurate to say that matter can neither be created nor destroyed, uh, only changed. That's not accurate. I, 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 I stopped reading. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I want to live in that universe. Or maybe I... I went to Wikipedia because I thought maybe that would simplify things. <laughs> One physicist named Steve <laughs> said, uh, so anyway, all this has to be explained. Some things in physics you should say a lot about or else nothing at all. In between always makes you say something that's wrong. <laughs> Well, I respect Steve for saying that. <laughs> and I want to say, I'm sure the spiritual rules are just as complicated, and uh, I'm sure I'll say something wrong this morning. They're not... It's hard to find ways to prove spiritual, how things work spiritually. But the reason that I keep saying how things work spiritually is because when you read about people who have near-death experiences... 
Now, some people say this is just oxygen deprivation in the brain, and there's this light, and you go in a tunnel, and yada, yada. Um, and my, uh, a very practical friend of mine said, yes, and, and, and all of these near-death experience people have one thing in common. They didn't die. <laughs> so, you know... I'm interested, though, because so many of them have this experience of being asked um, by, a, by love, by love's voice, being asked, did you figure out how things work? So apparently that's important, important enough for the voice of love to ask hundreds of people that who have had near-death experiences, did you figure out how things work? So Judaism, Islam, Christianity, all of the Abrahamic religions, they're all related. Abraham is the father. They all teach that loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself is the sum of all the laws that we should live by. So every day you just try to love more. And Unitarian Universalism is based on these uh, same religions. So... Love is our purpose, learning to love, and I think also I would add learning to be loved is, is the reason, is the purpose of life. And we all know that living ethically or living according to the laws of the spirit um, is no guarantee of wealth and health and happiness. But all the religions claim that it will give you satisfaction and peace and fulfillment Buddhism teaches that the way things work is that desire is the reason for suffering and that if you want to minimize your suffering, you try to decrease, let go of desire and craving. And the way you do that is to um, walk the eightfold path, which means that you would understand the way things work, i.e. desire causes suffering, that you speak the truth in kindness, that you meditate in silence, that you do work that goes with your ethics, that you act in the world according to what is right, and then you'll be happy. And it won't keep bad things from happening to you at all, but you'll be able to live well in your heart no matter what's happening outside. And what I love about the Buddhists is that they don't ask for any faith at all. They don't say, you have to believe this and then it'll work. They just say, try it. See if it works. If it doesn't work, go on to something else. There's a, a writer named Deepak Chopra that some of you know. Um, I used to avoid reading his books because he was so handsome and kind of glowy. And, um, <laughs> and he talked a lot about how you're responsible for your health and you're not, and he would not age, he wouldn't age and stuff. And I just thought. I just want to see you in about 30 years. <laughs> or maybe with a cold. <laughs> or after having spent an afternoon with 43-year-olds. <laughs> but he does write some interesting insight-producing things. And um, 
One of the books that I picked up that he had written was the teaching your children about the way things work. And so he has some some suggestions, and he he draws from the Hindu Vedas, and um, he says, here are things that will help make you successful, and how he defines success is that success includes the ability to love and have compassion, and the capacity to feel joy and spread it to others, and the security of knowing that one's life serves a purpose and a sense of connection to the universe and the power of the universe. So I thought that was a pretty good definition of success. And so it says, um, teach, now this is where we started a fight, obviously. He said, teach children that anything is possible. And I'm like, there you go again. <laughs> well, that glowy kind of overselling thing. Everything is possible, like seriously, if I started right now to um, train, maybe I could be in the Olympics in four years? No, anything is not possible. But, you know, when I give him the benefit of the doubt, I, um, I think that what he meant was you have to show your children that there are always more possibilities than you think there are. And I've seen that happen over and over again in meetings here. You know, you come to a place, you're pretty stuck, you have no idea how you're going to get forward, and then something shifts, something happens, somebody says something, somebody doesn't say something at just a moment, and you have a silence together, and then things start moving forward in a way that you couldn't really have thought would work before, but lo and behold, it's working. So I'm comfortable proclaiming that, that there are always more possibilities open than you would think. And I um, had a long career as a therapist, and I know that many people, when they're under stress, they just don't see their options. They just don't, they don't even see that instead of maybe killing themselves, they could um, drop everything and move to Northern California and um, become a, a, a garbage collector. It's, I mean... It, I don't mean to be callous. I just think it's it's so um, limiting to think. I either have to have this or nothing, and I don't want this. It's so limiting to think um, that you that you have to do what your parents feel like you should do, otherwise you're total loser, or that you have to make a lot of money, otherwise you have failed in your life, or there are just so many ways of having more possibilities, <laughs> and I think about um, the possibilities I don't see, and I'll just, I'll tell you a quick um, dream that I had, and that is, um, I, I, was, I was working with a, another therapist in town, and we would meet once a month, and we would uh, help each other talk about our dreams. So I told her, I said, Betty, I had this dream um, that I was taking a nap in my car on this park, in, the, in the parking lot with a, with a long hill, and I somehow, in my sleep, knocked the car into neutral, and it started um, going down the hill. And she said, what did you do? And I said, well, I was just steering between the trees. And I was, you know, I was like slaloming, going faster and faster and steering. And she said, uh-huh. And <laughs> she said... What else could you have done? 
I said, I, I don't. She said, in your waking mind now. <laughs> what else <laughs> might you have done? I said, steer faster? <laughs> Brakes, she said. You could have put on the brakes. Never occurred to me. Which probably tells you more than I want you to know about me. (laughs) So, I think we can teach our children that there's probably always a possibility you haven't thought of. And the way that you can think of it is by talking to people about what possibilities there are. So, that is a rule of the universe, or now after reading all that physics, I feel like I should call it the multiverse. I can't call it the universe anymore. That really messed me up. Thank you, science. (laughs) So, the potential when we are together is immeasurable, and the effects of our being together in this room stretch far into the future, we can help one another envision more possibilities. Another thing he says is to teach the children that you give first and then what you seek comes to you. If you want love, give love. If you want friendship and trust, Give friendship and trust. If you want support, give that. Keep giving what you want to have come to you. I see that happen too. People say, nobody likes me. Nobody wants to be my friend. And you can say, well, who have you been friendly to? Well, nobody. I just sit there. Sit there wait for somebody to come up to me. Like, yeah, that's not going to work. In order to get friendship, you have to be friendly. And and even then, it's not always going to work. You just have to keep trying. Nothing likes to be hoarded. Energy, space, money, ideas... Nothing likes to be kept for a rainy day. Um, It's important to keep things flowing. So if you can help somebody, it's important to help, even if the help doesn't come back to you. Um, If you have things that are not being used by you, then they belong to someone else. And it's important to keep those things flowing so you don't turn into a a swamp. Um, Hinduism says, God is rich and infinite. God is in you, rich and infinite. Rabbi Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. So he goes on to say that we should teach our children if they want to know how the universe works and grow spiritually, that they should surrender to the infinite intelligence that is the universe. Relax, stay aware, connect. 
to the spirit, to the mystery. If you're striving, if you're going against your grain, if you're expending effort in what does not bring joy, go a different direction. So, you know, our children are going to learn values from us, and we can teach them in the religious education classrooms what our values are, and we can make posters, and we can make charts, and we can have beautiful colors, and we can put it in simple language, and we can have fun craft projects. Um, But the way to continue this place, the the way to grow in our own spiritual growth is to begin to help the spiritual growth of others. And the way you help the spiritual growth of others is by um, being your truest self in front of them, in kindness, in wisdom, in clarity. Your children are going to learn from you just not by listening to what you say, but by watching who you are, which is kind of a scary thought um, because what you do in order to teach your children well is to be the best person you can be. You be the best person you can be, and they're going to watch you do that. And then they grow spiritually. Then you grow spiritually. Then we fulfill our purpose here as a spiritual community. Some people even go, well, I don't even know what spiritual is. Is it something different from physical? I don't think so. I think spiritual is its all spiritual. Because it has to do with your spirit and your spirited life. So we try to figure out how the universe works. We give love. We learn to receive love. We imagine there are more possibilities. We trust the infinite intelligence of the multiverse. We stay connected to our community and to the mystery. We just do our best to be the person that we're supposed to be. And sometimes, you know, when your bank account is at an emergency level and when your toe hurts, And you just can't be the person you want to be, that's okay too. We'll forgive ourselves and one another and move on. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts. Until we are together again. Please sing with me if you know this one. I know this rose will open. I know my fear will burn away. I know my soul will unfurl its wings. I know this rose will open. Go in peace.